Radio for the Agile Community. www.agile.fm Yeah, hello listeners to Agile FM. Today I have Wes Higby, a New York City resident um, who blogs at, very simple, weshigby.com and um, he's also um, with his own consulting company, Pool City Technology, and that's also the domain name, Pool City Technology, in one word, .com. Welcome to the podcast, Wes. Thanks for having me, Joe. Hey, Wes, you have written a book, um, and that book is called Commitment to Value, How to Make Technical Projects Worthwhile. I mean, what intrigued me immediately about this uh, line was worthwhile. There's some f form of patience in this word, and I just want to explore a little bit. What this, is this book about? Absolutely. You know, a couple of years ago, and a little bit about my background, um, I have been doing development for a number of years now, doing consulting work. And I think I came to the realization a couple of years ago that there was something fundamentally wrong about how I was approaching things. Um, and, and I came to that realization through a lot of pain. And I think that's where the word worthwhile in the title comes from, <laughs> is trying to reiterate that point um, a little bit more about my background. So I worked a lot with customers and we prided ourselves on working, I guess, differently. Uh, probably we would align with a lot of the people that say they work in an agile fashion. Uh, we called ourselves agile. Uh, we worked very closely with our customers. Uh, I worked very hard to break down barriers between uh myself, the people I worked with, and the customers we worked with so that we could have conversations and not have a lot of uh, handoff and mediation involved so that we could get to the point of what it is that people wanted. Mm -hmm. uh, the problem was like, as I was looking back at this, after almost 10 years of doing consulting, I was kind of frustrated because I felt like we had this process where we listen and we don't have a lot of um, handoff in the process. So why is it the success in the work we were doing uh, didn't really seem to be dependent so much on the talent of the people doing the work. So the, myself, the people I worked with, um, and even the talent of our customers, it didn't seem to be so much our talent, but it seemed to almost be luck. It seemed to be random when we would be successful and when we would not. Um, <laughs> and so that's frustrating to me because I'm, you know, I'm a developer. I'm looking for the pattern and, and, and trying to figure out what's going wrong so that I can predict for it in the future and stop it from happening again. Mm. Uh, and, and looking at, for patterns, I just couldn't find any. I mean, we there would be plenty of times where there was so much enthusiasm in the work we were creating, and then all of a sudden, um, a, a whole system goes unused. Mm. So we finish up, and then it just fizzles, or substantial parts of systems just fizzle out. There's a lot of enthusiasm, but then when the rubber hits the road, nobody's using it. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and maybe people use it up front, but a year later, nobody's using it. So it was very frustrating to understand what made us successful because then randomly you'd have those days where a customer would call and they would say the system that we built just save one of our customers $25,000 or just allowed us to do this, which we wouldn't have been able to do. Mm -hmm. So many of those random uh, phone calls and they're very um, uplifting 
for everybody involved in the process, but it, it was so frustrating to me to understand why don't these happen more often? Why aren't these more predictable? Predictable, right? So, so right. What's, what's wrong with this customer and service provider model? What is yeah. wrong with it? Yeah. So I, you know, the, what I, what I eventually came back to and what I started out in the book with is that uh, it's not that we didn't have the uh, decent communication. It's not that we didn't listen to each other and it's not that we didn't go back and forth on things. It's just that we tended to not focus at all on what makes a project worthwhile. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and what I saw specifically in consulting is, you know, a new customer will come to you off of uh, referrals from existing customers or just they hear about the good work you've done. They've got this amazing idea for a project because it's a burning like desire in their mind. It's a it's a huge opportunity or perhaps it's a huge problem and it's something where you can have a substantial impact on their company and we do and that's what led people to want to work with us was we had these amazing uh, impacts up front because our process didn't impede us from giving them what they wanted Mm -hmm. the problem then is after that (laughs) people get excited when they see what can happen with software development and they tend to think less about whether or not they should be doing something and focus more on what is in mind at the moment, uh, especially because we tried to work very uh, incrementally. We tried not to plan too much beyond a couple of weeks, at, a couple of weeks of work at most. Uh, and that worked out pretty well, especially when we had something worthwhile in mind. But what happened then is because people didn't have an impetus to understand why something should be done. Uh, it was more of a let's just see what can happen type approach. So our customer would just ask for whatever they want. We would deliver it as fast as possible. And and that's where things head downhill. Right, but uh, the I, problem is often that the customers don't even know what they want. Yes, exactly, yeah. And so you can even have the problem to begin with when a customer comes to you and they don't have a substantial need in mind. Uh, that that's that seems to be the trend. As a matter of fact, I uh, last night I was thinking more about this, and I I can't help but feel like I'm beating the dead horse on this topic. <laughs> so I put that in my blog post. But uh, you know, I really like try to explain to people the breakthrough I've had in how I approach not just software but everything in terms of business and life is that it's more important to spend time thinking about why we're going to do something, what makes it worthwhile, Mm -hmm. than it is to just plow forward with the implementation. Mm -hmm. And so I I like to always, in my mind, I always like to think of this uh, for a long time now as like you could imagine a two-dimensional person on a line and they're just sitting there and they have an idea. They could take that idea and they could go one of two directions because it's just a two-dimensional person. They could go to the left or they could go to the right. To the left, they can ask themselves, why do we want to do this? To the right, they can say, how do we go about doing this? Mm. And so I like to have this dichotomy in my mind because that helps me understand that uh, you have to choose which way you go up front. And what I found is in the 10 years of consulting I was doing was I was we were always choosing to just proceed with how. We, wherever we landed with an idea on the spectrum from why to how, we just moved toward how. Mm. The problem is we needed to move toward why. And, and then the other thing, like in my mind, because I can visualize this, is I understand that once you start moving in the direction of how, it's like impossible to move in the direction of why. Mm. You just build up this cognitive dissonance to ever question what you're doing. 
Right. So last night I was thinking of this again. I'm like, you know what? A better way to express this, I don't know where it came to me, but I thought of a mountain. I thought of a person standing on a mountain. And instead of left or right, you could go up or down. So if someone's standing on a mountain and they have an idea, they could climb up that mountain and that would be like asking, why, why, why do we want to do this? Why is this a worthwhile idea? What would we get out of doing this? Mm. Or they could just start climbing down or they could just start descending, which is obviously much easier than climbing up. And descending is like going about how to do this. So it's plowing into the work and getting going with it. Mm -hmm. But what we often see, or at least my experience, is that these problems you're stating, which is absolutely fantastic. Let's go back to that example, $25,000 uh, you saved the company by, by implementing. And often it's the, um, these estimates. There are company have some, companies have some estimates out there they, uh, for projects. On a project level, they say this project has to be executed. It has the following benefits. But often what, we, uh, what I see is uh, that these features uh, contributing to an entire system, not the overarching project itself, because it's so big often, um, that the individual features have uh, their own contribution to the individual success. Um, so, so what you're suggesting here is, is basically not a project, but maybe a feature-by-feature -feature kind of assessment. Somewhat, though, somewhat, yes. Um, you know, I feel like projects have gotten a bad rap simply because we equate them with the failures in the past of over planning. Mm -hmm. um, the, the key, I think, is no matter if you're developing one feature mm. or if you're developing an entirely new system, is that due diligence about what this can be worth before we just plow forward with implementing it and figuring out what it turns right. out to be worth. Uh, and it doesn't have to be, you know, an on, like a year long process to figure that out. Yes. But, you know, just even taking, it's amazing when you take five minutes to ask why and you have true honesty and trust in the relationship to actually ask those questions and get answers and keep going back and forth. It's just amazing what you can uncover in, in a matter of a couple of minutes. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, just I can think of a project I did recently where somebody's like, I just need this to be done. And they had a they had a date where they needed it to be done. And I look for all these little things that I can ask why about. So my first question was, why by this date? Um, and in doing that, uh, we un or I uncovered because they hadn't shared it with me that this was a stopgap solution. So they had never shared with me that this is not something they planned to use for a couple of years. It was something they planned to use for six weeks though mm -hmm. so by probing further with why it was obvious that they really didn't know if it would be like six weeks or maybe three months or six months mm -hmm. so there's a there is a uh, um, a limited nature to the value of what this was going to be worth which is going to in my mind limit what I should be doing for them uh, but if I hadn't stopped to even just for a couple of minutes discuss some of the why behind what we were doing, mm -hmm. I would have I would have just had the what to do. Uh, and even though I was listening to my customer, that doesn't mean that that's what they need. It mm -hmm. may be what they think they want, but it's not <laughs> what they need. So that's right. Yeah. So let's let's explore this topic a little bit because you're very outspoken and uh, have written um, about value based pricing. And I think that's where we're going um, with this individual. Um, yeah. So idea. Part, of the, part of the mountain analogy the next part that really came up was, okay, so up is why, down is how. So it's easy to go down. It's easy to, it's easy to just take the first path we can see. By going up the mountain, we get this broader perspective and we have alternatives available to us. And that's simply by asking why. 
uh, probing the worth of what it is we're doing, we can we can we engage the deliberate thinking mechanisms in our brain mm-hmm. to logically think about what we're doing, not emotionally think about what we're doing. When we just plow forward with how we're acting, we're acting very habitually and very emotionally with that uh, slow or sorry, with the fast thinking part of our brain, which leads us to oftentimes jump to conclusions. So we have to kind of climb up and uh, have some penalties or, or pay some pay some uh, penalties as we climb up to do some things we don't like doing, but get something good out of it. Mm-hmm. Now, along with the mountain analogy and getting back to pricing, um, for me as a consultant, uh, so I, uh, one of the other problems we had with w- that didn't help the situation was that we build by the hour and billing by the hour encourages a customer to worry about time, not about results. So that mountain analogy, I, I like to think of one more dimension to this. What if we had incentives to encourage people to deliver results instead of the default incentives, which are for people to just apply effort? Uh, just look at business in general. If you're an employee, you're salaried, you're paid to show up. Mm. Uh, and very few employees are given any incentive beyond punching a time clock. And a lot of them are like hassled about it. You know, you got to be in by eight, you got to be, you know, an out by five, (laughs) no overtime. You know, you have to, you, you can have 10 days of vacation. Like everything about an employee's job is specified in terms of the effort. The problem is there's no A for effort in business. It's all about results. So what if instead of the default incentives, oh, and even if you're not an employee, if you're like a contractor, you're oftentimes paid by the hour. Consultants who are supposed to be, like the very definition of a consultant is to deliver results are still paid for effort. That just doesn't make sense. So Mm. what if you had incentives to reward you for effort? And for me as a consultant, that incentive is value-based pricing. For an individual in an organization, I've got another example that I would like to talk about here, uh, which might be looking at how we can reward people for results instead of rewarding people for just working 50-hour work weeks. Right. Uh, so anyway, so if you start thinking about those incentives in terms of a mountain, if you increase the incentives for results, in other words, outcomes, what mm-hmm. makes it worthwhile, the impact on the business, the impact on the customers, it's almost like you reverse gravity. It's like you reduce gravity a bit and it becomes easier to climb up that mountain because people want to ask why if they're accountable to results. And and by wanting to ask why, they'll ascend that mountain. It'll be easier to go up that mountain because there will be something waiting for them at the top instead of just an arduous journey that they have to, you know, drudge through, which is what I found myself doing. I I, I wanted to in this model where where we were – uh, compensated for effort. I still wanted to do the right thing. That becomes a uh, a push and pull. Like there, it right. becomes very it, it it overburdens you, if you will. It taxes the individual to try and do the right thing while being rewarded for the wrong thing. Right. But um, wait. So not not every listener on on Agile FM might be uh, familiar with value based pricing. Could you just give yeah? Let's dive base, into that. Yeah, a let's bit. dive in a little yep. bit and just yep. maybe you want to give yep. a give an example of what it is, maybe just... The, the elevator pitch for this, or just to yeah, help, exactly. help people understand it, is simply this. I don't want my customers to pay more than what they get out of the work that we do together. So, and, and numbers are an easy way to talk about this, dollars. I'll talk about dollars, but dollars are not the only thing involved. But simply put, if something is only worth, if, if something only is potentially worth, I should say, $10,000, I have no right proposing a fee for that project beyond a couple of thousand dollars. Mm. 
So something's worth 100000 I have no right proposing a fee beyond maybe ten or 20000 because I want there to be a high margin between what my customer gets and what I get. Just like you said, the likelihood of these outcomes actually happening is a factor we can't control. So how I, how I go about that and how most people in value-based pricing go about that is we want a big margin. Mm. We, we, we talk about conservative potential value of a project. I worry about uh, liberal potential costs you know, as far as doing the work. But the great thing is, I'm not constrained to a set of specifications. We're not talking about, you know, a report that does this, uh, a system that does that. All we're talking about is the impact on the business. That's right. And so I have, when, when I come about these projects, it's not um, what somebody wants me to do. It's I get to figure out what I need to do to get them where they want to go. Right. So they, they give me a destination. I figure out the path. So that's another thing I talk about in the book is the path versus the destination. Yeah, they so give the me a destination and I price based on that destination. So value-based pricing, as, as far as I, I, I research, I'm a, I would say I'm scratching the surface here uh, by, by explaining it this way. It's, it's more like for emotional uh, niche markets. Um, that's, a, that's a very typical, uh, popular uh, pricing model, but how does this relate to IT? Like, uh, um, I, you know, I think at the end of the day, it boils down to this. If you want to be paid for results, value-based pricing is how you would go about it. Mm. So if you want to create an incentive, because here's the thing, I can't come up with some fee that I can't justify in terms of the potential value that my customer has articulated to me. I don't articulate the value. My customer articulates the value. I can't justify a fee beyond that. I can't even justify a fee that's beyond a, 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 frac a, a substantial fraction of that. That's how I hold myself accountable. Mm -hmm. So it, really it can apply to anything if you want to be compensated for results versus being compensated for effort. Right. Um, but let's, let's say you're not an employee and you're like a consultant and you, yep. you work in, an, in a team of employees. You're like a, a lone star uh, sure. Uh, yeah. You know, there's a difference between a, yeah. And this is a very important difference that I, you know, I have a lot of frustration because I run across people that want help in that capacity. Uh, there's a huge difference between a consultant and a contractor. And by that, I mean, there's a huge difference for, between somebody who's paid for results mm -hmm. and someone who's paid to just uh, show up. A contractor is just like an employee. They're paid by the hour. They Maybe they don't have the rigorous like uh, eight to five schedule. That's right. But you know, they are just there doing what they're told to do, typically. Like, where I want to go with this, uh, Wes, sorry if, if I interrupt yeah. you, but it's where I want to go with this is the, from a, from a customer service provider relationship is, let's say, a consultant, because I think that's more um, drastic example for somebody being on the outside of an organization. Yes, we want to listen to a company and we want to listen to the, to the client and see what they, what they and why they want to do these things. But at the end of the day, aren't we still dependent on their research and their analysis of why they want this? I mean, um, don't we have to swallow at some point the results of them? I'm, I'm playing devil's advocate here yes. right now that they're saying that they're saying this feature is worth X amount of dollars for me. Don't we have to trust that I, kind of research? Yes, you do. Like, and trust is a big part of the relation. But here's the nice thing: I like to question them on that upfront. I like to know how. How is it going to be worth that? Because in asking that, we can uncover a metric we can use to gauge our success. 
So instead of just uh, taking them at face value that something is going to be worth X, mm-hmm. we can we can we can ask how and I, a lot of times that will lead to more important things that we can have a conversation about. So I like to probe up front because a lot of times people are overly optimistic mm. and I would like to tell somebody <laughs> up front. You know, this sounds like a great idea, but look at the reality. And I I had this happen with a customer, got really excited about, you know, somebody had a big pain, right? And that we really should fix this. And if I had plowed forward with how, um, we would have gone down that path. But by stopping and talking about why we should do it, we, we uncovered that it might save one person like five hours of their time every week. That's right. Mm-hmm. So someone was very passionate about how much of a problem this was. And if you had asked them to like quantify it, somehow and qualify it, they would have come up with some ridiculous number to begin with. But by further refining it, it was obvious that what was important wasn't worthwhile. Yeah. And so that's also a part of the approach as well as I get to help customers up front prioritize what they do. Mm. So, so it's not just whatever mm. they come with, but it's also like, well, what's the best thing we can be doing together first? Right, you're in the early stages of a project. What I liked about um, one of your blog po- posts actually, um, people can read about is at weshigby.com is about when you purchase a fitness band or fitness watch or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, it's, there's so many, it's even the, the Apple watch is another reincarnation of this. I'm not going to say that people aren't going to get new things out of the Apple watch, but we all want like, or not all, sorry. People want the Apple watch. It's like Apple creates that burning desire for the Apple watch. But whether or not we actually need it, that's that difference that determines what it's worth. Mm. And that's that that's that's the difference I'm trying to figure out when people come to me is what I want versus what I need. Just so that I can help my customers get what they need. Mm. Like at the end of the day, we can tackle all those wants if we first tackled all the needs. I'm I'm happy to to go down the path of wants once all the needs are exhausted, but I don't ever find people exhausting their needs. Yeah. As soon as you, as soon as you, you know, you you know how this goes. Like as soon as you satisfy one need, uh, enough time has passed that there are new needs that are probably more important. <laughs> and that's, you know, that's the nice thing about uh, being a little bit more flexible in what we do. Uh, in term, instead of like you know trying to go about something for like a whole year, instead of trying to have a project that spans a year. You know, my projects, I, I like to keep them to the span of a couple of months at most just because uh, that's a good that's a good level to make a commitment on. Mm. And then beyond that, uh, why don't you know something is really going to take such a long period of time. I kind of like to think of it as sometimes there's these islands of value uh, and maybe this maybe this relates back to how you were talking about features earlier. Yeah. There are like islands of value that and there's not just like a final destination to get to, but there are not not uh, coupled destinations and that you have to go to all of them to get to the final one, but that there are worthwhile destinations between where we think we need to be and where we are now. And sometimes I like to go to those intermediate destinations and see if it's good enough Yeah. or, or see if once we get there, is there a better des- final destination to get to? Wes, are there any projects out there? So everybody listening to this right now, um, thinking about I'm in IT, I do some agile stuff. Um, are there any kind of projects industry-wide, you mentioned length just a minute ago. Are there any kind of projects which scream um, some of the ideas might be ideal to be experimented with? Uh, I'm, 
any not... industries, any industries, let's say more in finance, more in, you know, you name it. Oh yeah. Yeah. To be a, sure. Sure. So something that's ideal for, for an experiment. Uh, yeah, maybe this just gets back to like how I think that this doesn't just apply to me as a consultant. Uh, and that's that, you know, we reward people inside organizations for just punching the clock and doing, uh, you know, doing work. You know, it, it, you know, we had this like whole discussion of agile versus waterfall as if waterfall was the problem and agile is the solution. And I really feel like... Uh, Neither of them were the problem. The problem is the commitment we're making. Uh, the problem is if we commit to a plan for a year, obviously that's going to be disastrous because we didn't think about what it's worth. If we commit to a plan for two weeks and it's not the right thing to be doing, we're not going to get the right thing out of it. The pro so the problem is like stepping back to commitment. And, you know, I was just thinking, I, I like to think a lot of off the cuff of how I would apply what I do outside of organizations, inside of organizations. So instead of... Uh, rewarding people for efforts and instead of um, the continuous nature of software development um, what if we had these situations where uh, inside of an organization a team of people was able to say for a quarter we're going to focus on this result so we have the company would like to do something that's coming from its strategy probably we would like to focus on this result. Say, for example, like mm -hmm. a sales organization or somebody that sells stuff online. They aren't selling in Germany yet. So they, so a team of people says, you know what? In the next quarter, all we're going to get done is opening up sales in Germany. Mm -hmm. And then they step back and they say, what could that be worth to us? Do we have projections for uh, the amount of profit and revenue that would come as a result of that? And maybe somebody uh, inside the organization can help them understand that by expanding sales into Germany, that could lead to another $500,000 in profit every year. And that's a conservative estimate. I would, I would encourage people to do that conservatively. Yeah. But there's also there, – there are so many tangibles and intangibles. I like dollars though because it gives me something to talk about. Mm -hmm. um, so, they, so the team says, okay, so opening sales in Germany is our goal. That's something we could, or actually the question they would ask ne next is, um, is that something we could get done in the next quarter? Like, doesn't have to be perfect, but could we open up sales in Germany in the next quarter? Mm -hmm. uh, is that something reasonable? And if you have a team that's very tight with the organization and they've already opened up sales in other areas, or they just know the business in and out. Uh, and they're truly cross-functional, not just in terms of like development and yeah. testing and, and release and supporting applications, but also in terms of having people that understand the business as a part of that team and that can make other changes to the business beyond just software. Mm -hmm. If they're truly cross-functional, they should be able to answer that question. Can we do this? And so then they could make a commitment. All right, quarter one, our goal is to just open sales in Germany. And the reason it's worthwhile is because it will lead to $500,000 in profit on a yearly basis. And then they can step back and they can, you know, even in an organization, it's really simple to look at costs for people at least. Mm. Just t tally up their salaries. And let's say that they've got a team of four people that uh, in quarter one will charge up $100,000 to the company. So you've already established a five to one return there. So even if the $500,000 isn't, conservative and is a little bit liberal yeah. uh what's what's so wrong with 400 
or $450,000 in profit. Mm. Uh, it doesn't need to be precise. There's still plenty of margin for error in the actual potential value there. And that's just in the first year. That's not even to mention the years thereafter. Mm. So that, uh, you know, is being conservative there. So they plow forward with their goal and their only objective is to open sales in Germany. So when somebody asks about progress, you frame it in terms of, are we selling things in Germany? If we aren't, well, what are we doing to get there? Like the progress doesn't need to be uh, stories done, velocity, burn right. down charts. Oh, it yeah. can simply be, have we opened up sales in Germany? And if I were a team, I might start thinking, well, can we open up sales in like uh uh, in, in Berlin first or something like that. Right. You know, can we, can we like take a little piece of it and get going there? Uh, and so within two weeks, could we say we've opened up inside of this part of the country and, and then every two weeks we're opening up in another part if there are challenges because of the parts of the country. So the, t but the team can decide that. Mm -hmm. So somebody doesn't need to like upfront figure out a bunch of stories involved. People can just figure that stuff out as they go along as far as what they're going to need to do. The only thing the team has to do is decide, is this something we really can commit to for the quarter? Mm -hmm. And then they go about doing it. Um, and then I, I like to take this further. So we, we need incentives though. Um, we need incentives for people to work within this model. And I can think of an amazing incentive for people in an organization. And that's it. If you can get done early, then all the time that's left in that quarter doesn't need to be put into anything else. You can do what you want with that time. So when we're picking projects, the team should also be cognizant of how much time they might like to have for other things. Mm -hmm. And so when they're making a commitment, uh, they should consider that they don't want to commit for 100% of that quarter such that they can actually get done early in the best case scenario. Maybe yeah. in the worst case scenario, they run over, but is that a big deal? I mean, they spend a little bit beyond a quarter. It's no big deal. But um, in the best case scenario, they get done early. They can do whatever they want. They can invest in education. They can pay off debt. That's always a big thing people focus on. They could start focusing on what will be uh, the result to hit in quarter two. Mm. But this, um, this, this, this obviously what you just, just described uh, changes the model of how people and organizations are going to work quite drastically. It's a, yes. different, it's a different way of thinking. Yeah. And uh, a lot of those things will be um, um, described in, in your book, uh, Commitment to Value, How to Make Technical Projects Worthwhile. Uh, what else would listeners uh, get out of this book? What other ideas? Uh, you know, the, the, last, the last big thing that I think is so important is that we need to spend less time worrying about how we're developing software. We need to spend more time looking outward toward our customers. We, we, I, I know we, talk, we talk with customers a lot. Um, I think the word customer is somewhat ambiguous, so let me define that first. Um, the customer is the person that our organization provides value to. So if, if some people think of customers and users and they get them mixed up, but we need to actually be looking out at those customers more. And even if we're having conversations with them, we need to take the time to understand what they're asking us for, what it's actually worth. So in a great case in point is, um, I don't hear enough people talking about what it's worth to the customer so much as what it's worth to our organization. Mm -hmm. People like to frame things in terms of like, what's the opportunity for our organization? But it goes beyond that. There's Say for be, example- uh, At best, there's gotta be a lot of work for our product owners out there. Yeah, I think it's a work, a lot of work for everybody involved because I think that this is a role that everybody in an organization needs to be aware of. Um, I, I spent so much time trying to remove the barriers, which is another thing I talk about in the book, such that everybody that works with me has an understanding of 
of what we're actually trying to accomplish. So I'm never like passing from the customer to the people building. The people building have have uh, are, and it, maybe it goes back to this idea that like um, in the Agile Manifesto we talk about business people versus developers. Mm. Developers are business people. If you're part of an organization, you need to know what your organization does to contribute value to your customers. It's not okay just to pass the buck at a product owner or whatever the role may be and have handoff there. Everybody needs to know so they always have that opportunity in mind to maximize that value. Otherwise, I mean, at the end of the day, a lot of the people on the team are just stuck being people that walk a path with no understanding of why they're going to a particular destination. Yeah. Um, but like just to stick with your example from Berlin before and Germany and opening the sales um, in that country, just to yep. stick to that uh, example, yep. um, from a, what you're describing is more on an organizational level, like let's open sales in, in Germany and we, we go about it. A fraction of that might be only related to an IT system. There might be many, many other processes in place Absolutely. To, to take care of that. So. Absolutely. Um, and we, that's what, where what we do in, in Agile is often is that we, we do have that a lot of people do Scrum, we have this product owner, and uh, only that fraction of features would make it into a into a backlog. And those features are now disconnected just in terms of where they live, uh, from what the business objectives are. How would yeah. you tie all these concepts together? Yeah, you know, I that's where I see cross functional going beyond just the development side. Um, just to put it in terms, I think we're all familiar with. We, mm -hmm. we like to we, like. I see so many organizations even claim to be agile, yet they're develop. They have development department, QA department, mm -hmm. uh, you know, operations department. Uh, they they don't understand that the nature of all of a lot of what we're talking about is rethinking the organization and how it operates. I, I think it has to go beyond that. I, I think that like the buck stops at delivering value to our customers. So we have to have everybody on the team that's a part of making that happen. So if the objective is to open sales in Germany, you may only have one person in a technical capacity on that project or two people. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you're also going to have people that actually understand uh, what you might have like a full-time person that just understands the change that's going to have to happen to the rest of the organization uh, that works to make sure that that happens. And you are going to have like literally consultants throughout the organization that they're go you're going to have to reach out to too. Uh, perhaps there are uh, accounting issues that you've never encountered before. So you're going to have to reach out to that person. You just have to have a team that has the competency to bring together within the team all the skills that are necessary and then the knowledge to uh, reach out to all the right people to make this happen. Mm. And so and it can't just stop it at software because like you're saying, software is just a means to an end. And if we just tuck features away in a backlog, uh, what, what I found is then we just get these backlogs that grow ridiculously long and the people doing the work don't have any means of understanding why the work is in there. So they can't even, uh, you know, here's the other thing too. Uh, instead of putting even stories in a backlog, I like to peel the onion back to what it's worth because then uh, technical people and technical people blow me away continuously at how uh, creative they can be, if given the capacity to be creative. So instead of having features there, they can look at alternatives. And as long as at the end of the day, we are delivering value to customers, it doesn't really matter how we do it. And that kind of goes to this analogy that I always mm -hmm. like to say that there's no wrong way to do the right thing. Mm -hmm. So that's just set in for a second. There's no wrong way to do the right thing. Uh, unless somebody wants to play with like, you know, some 
crazy psychopathic <laughs> scenario. <laughs> uh, in general, if you're doing the right thing, you've got to be able to trust the team to do that. And don't, it doesn't matter how they go about doing it. Right. Uh, it doesn't be, matter. And there might be many different ways of doing it, right? Yeah. S s people that, that have, that use Scrum will continue, maybe will continue to use Scrum. People that have never been exposed to a methodology in software development will have the constraints from the value they're delivering to create the methodology that they need. Mm. And at the end of the day, as long as, you know, sales are open in Germany at the end of the quarter or at the end of the next quarter, because who cares if it took two quarters, that would still be a 250% return uh, on a yearly basis. Uh, that's what, that's what success is at the end of the day. And it's right. easy for everybody to see that too. Um, yeah, so it comes down to metrics, it comes down to measuring success, it comes down to profit margins, and uh, we do come, uh, as you just said, at the end of the day, we're coming to the end of a podcast where we explored quite some interesting topics, and whoever listened to this um, podcast episode um, realized that you have a very interesting story about how you would approach um, any project, Agile, probably very suitable for that, to testing out your ideas, um, about how to start projects and uh, asking more why uh, questions in the beginning of a project. Wes, it's a pleasure having you on the podcast. Joe, it was a pleasure to be on. But I have one more question for you. Yeah. Did you order your Apple Watch? No, I do not. I will not buy an Apple Watch. <laughs> <laughs> I was burned by the basis. It was a great watch, but it, I, just at the end of the day, it did nothing for me. Okay. So if that was that want versus it, did, I, I had no need for it. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on this uh, show and uh, sharing your thoughts and ideas. And I just want to reiterate here for everybody listening at FoolCityTechnology.com. You can see more about Wes and his services and WesHickby.com, his blogs and his book. Commitment to Value, How to Make Technical Projects Worthwhile. Released in April 15. Congratulations to that. Thanks, sir. Thank you for listening to Agile FM, the radio for the Agile community. I'm your host, Joe Krebs. If you're interested in more programming and additional podcasts, please go to www.agile.fm. Talk to you soon.